0: Well, good morning again, guys. How are we doing this morning? I'll take that. It's better than Adam gets some days, so I'm going to tell him I got more. All right. So if you have been with us last couple weeks, you already know that we're in the book of Ruth. If you didn't know that, now you know. So go ahead and turn into your Bibles to Ruth chapter four. We are now getting to the end of the story. Okay. You know, I said earlier this morning that I am the student's director here. So one of the things that we do as students when we gather, we start with a little game. So today, I decided that we were going to start with a little bit of a game. You probably know it. It's called Two Truths and a Lie. Okay. So the way the game works, I tell you two truths and a lie. You have to figure out which one's the lie. Okay. So I'm going to tell you three things. The first one, I was engaged three times. Second one, my middle name is Alexander. The third one is that I coached someone who qualified for swimming in the Olympics. Okay, take a second. Take a guess. Okay, the lie is that my middle name is Alexander. Okay? Yeah, so now now you guys are asking the question, okay, engaged three times. You need to explain that. Okay, so I'm going to explain it. So before I met Livy, I dated, well, I should say, I lived internationally overseas for my senior year of high school. When I was overseas, I dated a girl. You know, the reason it didn't work out, I apparently really stink at long-term relationships because we were long distance. Yeah, we've... She's not going to let me live that one down for a while, okay? I'm really bad at long-distance relationships and slurring my words, okay? So we were dating. I moved back here. It didn't work out. But over there, you know, over here, when we date, you know, at least when I grew up learning how to date, my parents told me that one of the things that I had to do was meet my girlfriend's parents, get to know them, because if the point of dating is to get married one day, I needed to know the parents of the person that I was going to marry. Okay, What I didn't know as an 18-year-old boy overseas is that in Uganda, to meet the parents meant, so when's the wedding? Nobody told me that you date in secret. You don't tell the parents that you're dating until you're ready to tell them We're getting married. My girlfriend failed to tell me that, Okay. Fast forward, we broke up. I did it again. My fault that time. Broke up again. Almost seven years strong. We're going. (laughs) All right? So dating in Uganda was very, very different from the way it worked out in, in the US. The marriage process over there is also different. So over here, you get engaged, you have a wedding. Before the wedding, you have what? You've got the rehearsal dinner. Happens the day before, you gather, you eat, you have a little fun. Next day, you're married, boom, done. Over there, they don't necessarily have a rehearsal dinner. They have what's called an introduction ceremony. That ceremony can take place the day before the wedding. It can take place a week before the wedding, can take place a year before the wedding. It does not matter when it takes place, but the purpose of it is for the couple to announce their intentions formally to their friends, family, and community. They come together, we say, hey, we're getting married, we want you all as our friends in our community to be a part of our marriage, bless our marriage, It's still a little old school over there. So the future husband gives a dowry over to his future spouse's parents. You know, over there, it's usually a couple of goats or a couple of chickens. So by marrying Livy, I saved a couple of goats and a couple of chickens. Okay, that's the moral of the story. Okay, in Ruth chapter 4 we begin to see what you might call Ruth and Boaz's introduction ceremony, okay? They are coming before the community. Boaz is now following through on the promises that he made to Ruth, that he would see her cared for and loved. When we left them at the end of chapter 3, we learned last week that God has a plan and a purpose for your marriage, His glory for your good. Okay, and now, before we dig into the text this morning, it's very important that we understand what a family redeemer is. Okay, if you've been with us, this has been a term that's come up a couple of times the last couple chapters, and it's really important that we understand what it is. So in the Old Testament times, to be a family redeemer was a deeply important responsibility not only for the one that was being redeemed, but because you were ensuring that your family line would not cease. So to be a family redeemer meant you were redeeming the family line. See, in ancient Hebrew culture, your lineage, your family history, it was everything. It defined what jobs were available to you, it determined your social status. You know, just as a really good example of that, You could not be a priest in the temple in Israel unless you were a Levite and a descendant of Aaron, Moses' brother. If you didn't meet those qualifications, that job, off the list. You had to go find something else to do, even if that's what you wanted to do. Okay, It was also used to pass down family stories and stories of the community. Okay, We see this in the book of Genesis. In the Old Testament, we see it right at the end of chapter 2 talking about the genealogy of Adam. Adam had this child, this child had this many kids, this person died, so on and so forth. It also says that at the beginning of the book of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus. And who do we find in the genealogy of Jesus? Ruth the Moabite. See, we're, right here we see Ruth's story should be ending. Naomi's story should be ending. Naomi's husband's died. Ruth's husband has died. Their story should be over. (coughs) But we see in God's grace, he provides a family redeemer to them. Okay? It's this fear that causes Naomi to do everything that she's done so far in the story. It's why she changed her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter. Her life has gone from pleasant and happy to full of suffering and bitterness because she feels like her family's done. Her story is done. And maybe this morning you find yourself in a similar position to Naomi. You used to live life to its fullest. You felt God's grace in abundance. You were happy. Your life was happy. And something's happened that's turned you bitter. Man, if you're like Naomi this morning, I want you to know that you do have a place here. Because just like Ruth, Ruth is able to go from an outsider to an insider, an enemy of Israel to a part of the people of Israel. And if this morning you feel like you are unworthy to be a part of God's people because of whatever is going on in your life and whatever you've done, I want you to know that you have a place here with God's people. Okay. And as we begin to look at the conclusion of Ruth's story in chapter 2, this is what I want us to take away. That Boaz's redemption of Ruth mirrors Jesus' redemption of us. Boaz's redemption of Ruth mirrors Jesus' redemption of us. Look with me starting in, in chapter 4, verse 1. Boaz went to the gate of town and sat there. Soon the family redeemer Boaz had spoken about came by. Boaz said, come over here and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And they sat down. He said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here And in the presence of the elders of my people. If you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, because there isn't any other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, the family answered. The family redeemer answered. Now, at this time in history, if if you know anything about you know ancient civilizations, the city gate was essentially the center of business and the society. If you had business to do, you went to the city gate. If you had a quarrel with someone and you were going to fight, you were fighting at the city gate. Everything happened around the city gate, and we see this modeled in different places throughout the Old Testament. Okay? So because the city gate was the place where business was conducted, Boaz knew that it was only a matter of time until the family redeemer would come to this place. So he gathered the witnesses, he gathered the elders, and he waited. And as the family redeemer comes, Boaz begins to explain the situation to the family redeemer, almost like he didn't even know that Naomi had returned and Ruth was with him. He's a little ignorant. you know. And Boaz, as he's explaining this proposal to the family redeemer, makes sure to very tactfully offer an alternative. He says, but if you do not wish to redeem it, tell me so that I will know, and I am next after you. For the family redeemer to buy that field that was owned by Naomi's husband, it it would have greatly benefited him. Okay, if you're a business owner and you have the opportunity to buy more business, it benefits you. It means more income for the family redeemer, it meant a bigger harvest. And more savings. You know, this family redeemer is probably listening to Boaz. And in his head, he's going, I would be an idiot not to take this. Is it going to cost me? Sure. But it's low risk, high reward. I'm going to buy the land. I'm going to staff the land. I'm going to farm the land. And I'm going to reap the benefits. So without hesitation, the family redeemer just goes, where do I sign? Where do I sign? Okay. We're also going to find out. Legal documents weren't a thing. How do you sign? You threw a shoe at someone. Okay, I'm not saying that's how you should do it now, just because it's in the Bible. But we'll see more about that a little later. So the family redeemer says, I want to take the land. (coughs) Boaz isn't finished. Keep reading in verse 5. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from Naomi... You will acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. Still an easy deal, right? Yeah. (laughs) Spend the money to buy the land, but you also have to have a surprise wife. So you get the land, but you now also have the responsibility of loving and caring for a wife that you were not expected to have okay? It's here that Boaz reveals to us the ultimate responsibility of what the family redeemer is. We mentioned earlier that in that culture, your name and your family line meant everything to you. The land was secondary. It's the name that mattered. Ruth's husband had died. Naomi's husband had died. For Naomi... There was no one after Ruth. There was nothing for her to have come after her to carry on the name and the family stories. All she had left was Ruth. And Ruth meant everything to her. See, Boaz understood what was at stake for Naomi and Ruth, he understood just how much Ruth meant to Naomi. And he wanted to see that Ruth was taken care of. Because Ruth's restoration was also Naomi's restoration. It wasn't only the family redeemer's responsibility to look after the land. It was their responsibility to ensure that the person who died would have their name live on. And and that was through a child. So it would be that person's responsibility to see to it that that widow had a child to carry on the father's name. See, and here in this story, Boaz presents the family redeemer with this responsibility. He reminds him, hey, you, it's more than just the land. You have to take care of this person. And the family redeemer is unwilling to pay the price. Okay, keep, keep reading in verse 6 with me. The redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal and gave it to the other party in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property. This was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal and said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. Now this morning, before we get back to the story, I just, it's an interesting, you know, this morning we find ourselves in a similar position to Ruth. We are people living in a world that we were not meant for in need of a restoration that we cannot bring to ourselves. We need somebody else to redeem us and because redemption requires (coughs) sacrifice, It requires somebody to sacrifice willingly because redemption requires a redeemer that is willing to pay the price. Redemption requires a redeemer that is willing to pay the price. Just like Ruth needed Boaz, we need Jesus. You know, Hebrews uh, 9.15 puts it like this. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called mighty those who are called might receive the promise of the eternal inheritance because a death has taken place for the redemption from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. See, just like Boaz acts as an intercessor for Ruth, Jesus acts as an intercessor for us. For Ruth, there was nothing that she could do to earn her redemption. She was entirely dependent upon the grace and kindness of others to see her redemption come to fruition. If Boaz didn't exist, if this other family redeemer didn't exist, there would have been no hope for Naomi. There would have been no hope for Ruth. See, like Ruth, we need someone to intercede on our behalf. Ruth needed to be redeemed so that she could have a place amongst the people that were not her own. We need redemption so that we can have a place in the presence of God. Because it's not a place that we've earned or deserved, but it's a place that Jesus so gracefully comes down from heaven to die on a cross for so that we might receive it. You don't have to earn it. You just have to receive it. See, just like in this story, Ruth is just sitting and waiting and hoping that Boaz follows through on his promises. She's trusting him, and she is trusting that he's going to do everything that he promises to her, but she doesn't know if it's going to happen. See, this morning, we sit here knowing that our place has been secured because we know that Jesus has died on a cross. He has died for our sins And he's done so willingly because he loves us. See, just as God worked through Boaz to see Ruth come to a place of restoration, he has worked through Jesus to see you restored. And the best part is that there's no catch. You just have to receive it. Jesus paid the price willingly, just as Boaz does for Ruth. Boaz offers to pay this price for Ruth willingly, selflessly, and compassionately. In fact, one one commentator that I was reading put it so well that Boaz's actions echo the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, 25, which says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. Boaz was willing to pay sacrificially to see Ruth cared for. The family redeemer was willing to pay the price Right up until he learned that the price would require him to sacrifice more than he was willing to risk. Jesus didn't come down, look at what the cost would be, and say, I'm out. They can deal with it on their own. Good luck. He saw how high the price was, and he still paid it. See, because of the risk, the family redeemer decides to take Boaz up on his offer to take the risk himself. And he steps aside. And here, at the end of this interaction, we see the final point that I want us to take away from this message today. The restoration of redeemed people is witnessed by others. The restoration of redeemed people is witnessed by others. Let's keep reading in verse 9. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion and Mahalan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitist, Malon's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. So we mentioned earlier, you know, they didn't have legally binding agreements. You know, here, if we're you know, let's just say going to go get a mortgage from a home. There's a whole process that I don't understand because I don't own a home. But if I were to summarize it, I believe it would be you have to go to the bank, the bank has to approve the mortgage, and you have to sign, and you have to get it notarized, basically saying, I verify that I can pay this mortgage and, and do all this stuff and buy this home. Okay? Ancient Israel, that wouldn't have been the case. I would love, okay, if there's any realtors in the place, I apologize, but I would love nothing more if it, all it took for me to buy a house was to go to the bank with a bunch of my buddies, throw a Jordan shoe at the bank loan officer, and just be like, I got you, we're good, yes, okay, great, and go walk into my home. It would be so much easier, but unfortunately, that is not the case, okay, anyway, side note. The restoration of redeemed people is witnessed by others. That's the point. The restoration of redeemed people is witnessed by others. See, throughout this whole story, everybody knew who Ruth was, apparently, except for the family redeemer. She was not hiding it. Naomi was not hiding it. Everybody knew. Her name was Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the outsider. Someone that was from the enemy of Israel, the enemy of God's people, that was her people. And now, as we get halfway through chapter 4, which we'll wrap up next week, when Adam gets back, it's now Ruth Boaz's wife. From an outsider into an insider. From the enemy of God's people, As Boaz's wife, she has now become a part of God's people. See, if Boaz's redemption of Ruth mirrors Jesus' redemption of us, we should look at this story and recognize that just as Ruth's redemption is witnessed in the city gate, so should our redemption be witnessed by those around us. Just like Ruth's redemption is witnessed by those in the city gate, Our redemption should be witnessed by those surrounding us outside of this building. See, Jesus offers us the free gift of salvation, but he doesn't hide it. And it's not just a between you and him thing. It's something that he says, know what I have done for you. It's the whole point of the great commandment. He says, this is what I have done for you. Now go and share it. Share what I have done for you. And I'm with you. Through the suffering, through the pain, through any heartache that comes, let other people know what I have done for you. And that I love you, and that I care for you, and that I want others to be cared for as well. See, this morning as we begin to close and the band comes back up, I want to ask you two questions. Is your redemption being witnessed by those around you, in your workplace, in your school, in your community? And what is your life witness to? Is your life a witness? And what is your life a witness to? See, your story isn't done yet. You might be here and you might have gone through an awful week, an awful month, an awful year, Your family's broken, you feel broken, things are messy, and you you don't know how to put it back together. Your story isn't done yet, and Ruth's story isn't done yet either. See, you're going to want to be here next week as as we wrap this up, because what we find is that even though we are closing the story of Ruth next week, even to this day, Ruth's story isn't done yet. Because, see, through being redeemed, because of what Boaz does for Ruth, he follows through on his promises. He takes care of Ruth. He takes care of Naomi because he's taking care of Ruth. He brings Ruth to himself as his bride. And through that relationship, we get Jesus. Ruth was the grandmother of King David. And a couple months ago, we went through the story of king david we saw regardless of what david did god promised to bring salvation through david's line that even though david would pass away and there would be kings after him that were broken and horrible and awful people that the redeemer jesus would sit on king david's throne for eternity and today we have that hope in our hearts That even though we might be broken and we might be suffering, we have a Redeemer right next alongside us. So I started this morning by telling you a little bit about um, my Ugandan dating experience and the introduction ceremony. Okay, One of my friends a couple years ago went through this process and did it correctly because he was Ugandan and he knew the process and he didn't make the same mistakes I did. Actually, some of you might know him. His name is Joachim. He is the executive director of a ministry called Benjamin House Ministries. I actually introduced him up on this stage a couple of months ago, okay? So Joachim went through this process. He now has been married for a couple of years. He's got a beautiful wife and a beautiful child. You know, and when they got married, you know, one of the things I didn't mention earlier is that when you go through that process of having the introduction ceremony, part of that is... Designed, you go to your friends, you go to your family, you go to your church, you ask for money to say, would you please help support this introduction ceremony? Okay, some of you might be thinking, why, why would you do something if you're broke and you can't afford it? Okay. You're missing the point. The point is that the process is designed for the entire community to come to, together and support that marriage. You have the ceremony, not just as a celebration of what is to come for the spouse, the spouses. You have a celebration of what God has done in your community. So the community supports the ceremony. You know, and as his friend, I sent some money over to him as well so that he could have the ceremony. It's a big party. It's a big party where the couple declares their love for each other in the community declares their love for you. And church, when we gather together, we are doing so to proclaim our love of Jesus, our goal to see the world saved through him, and to come together for each other. See, sometimes we're coming to this place celebrating. Sometimes we're coming to this place crying. Okay, and I have been there myself a lot since coming to this church even a couple... It's only been a year. I've only been here a year. There's days where I... Wow, that was a fast year. There have been place times where I've walked into this place and I I want nothing to do with anyone. I want to sit in my seat. I don't want to worship because I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I don't know where to go. Man, and sometimes God brings me to this place and I'm celebrating because... He has done something in my life and reminded me who he is, what he's done. In those times when you're coming in here celebrating, we're also comforting those that are hurting because God brings us together to be a community of love that goes out and loves others. And that's the story of Ruth. The redeemed are witnessed and the witnesses go out. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have loved us. You have restored us to a place that we never could have come on our own. We are unworthy to receive that love, yet you so graciously give us that love anyway and declare your love over us and the others around us. Lord, I pray this morning as we begin to close the chapter on the book of Ruth, that as we go out of this place that you would remind us of that love that you have for us and that we might show someone that this love applies to them as well and that they can be loved as well if they don't feel worthy of it. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.